Hello, everybody. Welcome this morning to Bethany Community Church. Uh, wherever you are watching, we're all here together today in order to enjoy some time discussing Exodus chapter 3 and 4. We've never done this format before, so it's going to be interesting, maybe a little bit of an adventure, don't know. But before we get started, I want to uh, allow all of you to meet those who are up here on the stage with me, our pastors who are involved here at Bethany Community Church. We'll start to my far left. Uh, I'm Travis Fletcher, and I'm the pastor at Bethany Eastside. I'm Jack Brace. I'm the pastor at Bethany Northeast. I'm Kendi Easley, and I'm the executive pastor head of staff here at Bethany Overall. I'm Brad Thayer. I'm the pastor at Bethany Ballard. My name's Scott Sun, pastor at Bethany North. And I'm Richard Dahlstrom, pastor, senior pastor and uh, teaching pastor here at Green Lake. Uh, welcome, everybody. So Exodus chapter 3 and 4 is where we're picking up in our series uh, on Moses, and we'll be discussing that particular text this morning in the context of how do we know what is our calling and how do we live into our calling. And so let me just remind you where we've been in the text. Moses was in Egypt, tried to deliver uh, the Jews from slavery in Egypt by killing a man. It was discovered. He became, uh, in a sense, a refugee. He's on the run. He's out. He's living in the desert. He's fine in the desert. He gets married in the desert. He's, he's shepherding a flock in the desert. And out there in the context, 40 years after his attempted deliverance of the Jews from slavery, he hears from God. He sees a burning bush. God meets him there. And this is where we encounter Moses discovering, in a sense, his calling and his destiny. And so we're going to pick that up and understand that this is a text where God calls Moses to go back to Egypt and deliver Israel from slavery. And so, Jack, I want to start with you because the text is often treated as typological. In other words, Moses is a picture of Christ delivering us out of slavery from sin. And I think that that has value for sure. But I wonder if we sometimes overlook the more literal sense of the text and if there's a justice message here that's applicable today for any of us in pursuit of our callings. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it says there in Exodus 3 that God has seen the affliction of the Israelites and by the hands of the Egyptians, and he's heard their cries. And so, I, I mean, there's a, chan there's a sense that we could see that typologically, but there is, this is a historical event. Um, and I think what it communicates is that God cares about uh, human loneliness or human brokenness, or we might put it in terms of our own culture addiction or uh, families that are torn apart by divorce or whatever it might be. He cares about the environment. And he cares about the earth he created, and he, he's inviting us to participate in that as much as he's going to uh, join us in that work. And so I, th I think the challenge for us is if we're only focusing on, with Moses, the sheep, whatever that is, if that's our kind of rising or falling 401k or the grass growing or the day-to-day -day duties, whatever those duties are, as important as they are, or watching ESPN and SportsCenter and all those things, that we run the risk of um, missing out on God's call on our lives, but also really getting a, a view into God's heart for the world. And so I think just paying attention to the, the things that God cares about is this place in which we really discover our call. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite texts is in uh, uh, Exodus 3, 7 or so, where Moses encounters God, and this is what we read. The Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I'm aware of their suffering, so I've come down to deliver them. And if I'm Moses and I'm hearing this, I'm like this. Go for it, God. That's beautiful. Go deliver your people. And then what I love about it is he moves on in verse 10, and he says to Moses, therefore, come now. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh 
that you may deliver my people. And then Moses puts up this huge wall of resistance, which becomes the entire rest of the story. And, and I often wonder, why doesn't God just do what God wants to do? Why, why does God choose to use people? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the way Moses works this out throughout the rest of the text and throughout our study of him is just so fascinating. He's, he's so human. He's so uh, tangible, his distress and his frustrations and all these kind of things. I mean, it's, he's such a relatable character in the Bible. Um, I think, like, when I picture God saying this to Moses, I picture, like, his eyes getting really wide and, like, oh, you mean me. I, I think that's, that shows how loving and powerful God is that he would continually surprise us with his call because it's his call. It's his saying to just a regular guy like Moses who doesn't have a, a spotless track record, no, I really do mean for you to live into this in a way that you can never have imagined. In my experience, God's call is always beyond what I could have imagined. I could yeah. never have put that together on my own. I grew up thinking I was going to go be a lawyer. I grew up thinking I'd live in Texas my whole life where I grew up. God had way bigger plans than that. Uh, and I'm so glad that he did. And yet I think one of the challenges as we talk about calling is just remembering, like, even if you're um, staying home with your kids full time, even if your job just doesn't feel like a calling, there is some aspect of that where God's just going to turn it upside down and use people. He chooses to use people to actually answer the question uh, because he cares about our flourishing and he cares about us being in the best possible position to serve him because it's about him, not us. Uh, and that's why I think he sets us up in these just completely unexpected situations. Um, and I'm so glad that he does. Yeah, I, I, I think of uh, how we train our kids to do things that we could easily do ourselves. But the value in training our kids, of course, is it's for their own transformation. And in the same way, I think God calls us and allows us to be involved in the work that God is doing. Yeah, and I would add, that's what we've been talking about in this series about Moses' story is so powerful. This is why we study the scriptures, because it's not just history, it's prophecy. God didn't just do it then. He wants to do it now in us and through us. And so the more we're aligned with God's narrative, man, he did that then. And then we're watching what he's doing in us. And not just for what he might do someday. I think I was a young man that made that mistake thinking calling would begin at a job description, at a relational status, at a certain age bracket. Uh, and, and the Moses story is that God used all of his past experiences to call him at a certain time. But every piece of his story was important to that calling. So yeah. you know, God has a, has a piece today to just echo what Travis was saying. Well, and, and uh, when he's called, clearly the rest of the narrative is basically this, I don't want to go. Yeah. Have you ever had time, Scott, where you didn't want to go and God called you? Yeah, I think that's, uh, it's a fun uh, question to answer because yes, <laughs> all the time, uh, particularly when Bethany started the multi-site ministry, which is seven years ago, almost to the day. I mean, it was, it was the summer seven years ago that we were calling people in the north and to the west, hey, would you come and think about doing a local church? And uh, I remember we did a, a setup day in the, in the hours before our first launch in September of 2010. And people were there setting up chairs and musicians were practicing. There was just this hum and the buzz in this little community center we had rented. And I literally walked out under the stars, got down on my knees and told God, you have the wrong man. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not smart enough. I'm not experienced enough. I was a fisherman at the time, midway through a theology degree. I just thought, what are you doing, God? And, uh, and God continued to make it clear even in your weakness, even in your doubts, even in your brokenness, I will use you. So stay involved, stay engaged, get up off your knees and go back into that room where I can use you. Yeah, and that's when amazing. I think of what's happened at North in the last seven years, 
it's it's beautiful because I w almost missed it and yeah. I would have missed it given my own choices, but God knew what he was doing. And so just by showing up, God has done the work there and lives have been changed. I think it's significant that you say I would have, I would have missed it if I'd have gone according to my own choices because, because uh, Beekner, that, that author who we all read a little bit anyway, he says uh, where the world's need and our deepest gladness intersect, that's our call. And I sometimes find that it's not deep gladness. There's at the least ambivalence and sometimes outright resistance to what God is calling me to do. But it's also, if you look at the life of Moses, he's called back into the place of his greatest anger and pain. And I can't help but think of a lot of, uh, a friend that I had breakfast with yesterday is starting a nonprofit because he sees something broken and it aches something inside yep. of him. Yep. And so it's not this greatest joy and gladness, it's where do you see this pain yep. and how am I going to step into it? And it's God pointing on my, tapping on my shoulder, pointing at me saying, you go. Yep. Uh, because I've given you this ache, you solve yep. it. Yeah, and so sometimes the calling <laughs> uh, will be because there's something of like a fire in our belly. Other times we may wanna be disengaged completely and God pushes us into the arena uh, in spite of ourselves. I think those are great observations. Um, go ahead, Kendi. There's a song that one of the lines is, break my heart for what breaks yours. And I think there's kind of an openness that, that in this whole conversation regarding justice, regarding God's call to really be aligned with what God wants to do in the world. And yep. it, whether it's like move toward beauty and goodness and the joy of creation, or whether it's like the broken heartedness of humanity that we know breaks God's heart. So yeah. to me, those kind of connect in a calling. I want to continue with the text here because uh, uh, Moses immediately asks the question, verse 11. He says to God, who am I that I should go? And then God says, I'll be with you. And then Moses says in verse 13, I will go to the sons of Israel. I'll say to them, the God of your fathers have sent me. They will say, what is his name? And then God does, the, this is the weirdest thing to me. God says to Moses, here's my name. I am who I am. Brad, what's that about? Well, thousands of years of debate can be solved in 35 seconds, right? <laughs> Good, thank yeah, you. No. Yeah, here we go. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot going on here. And, and the Yahweh is, is, you know, like your breath. It's God's closeness. But if you look at it in the context that it's in, it's been 400 years since the Israelites have heard from their God. Mm. Uh, so they've been building bricks, they've been making bricks, they've been doing backbreaking labor for 400 years without any resemblance. And, and so they see the God has forgotten about them. Mm. And then you have Moses who steps in to do something that is good, something that God, their God, who's been distant for 400 years, would mm -hmm. like. And then he gets exiled out for another 40 years hmm. into the desert. And so it's interesting, it, leading up to this, you've asked Travis about this, but it all comes to this Yahweh part. I hear, I see, I'm concerned, I'm doing something about it. And then Moses says, yeah, but who are you? And he says, I'm the God who's present with you. I'm the God that's closer to you than you can ever imagine. And it's this assurance for Moses that though you thought God was far away, he's actually right next to you. He's closer than your breath. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's significant for Moses as he's going forward that it's not this distant, far off God, silent for half a millennium. Yeah. To he, actually, he's closer than I think. I love that, that, that God is both uh, omnipotent, mm -hmm. powerful, all-knowing, and then there's this very intense intimacy to God as well. Because if we had only one or the other of either, it would be t wholly inadequate. If I have a personal God yeah. who's close to me but can't do anything, 
All I have is sympathy. And it's a pattern that we see in scripture is God trying to get close to his people. Yeah. Uh, but we only celebrate it once a year at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's a pattern that's throughout all the Old Testament, all the prophets, even the weird books that we avoid. It's there. God wants to be close to us. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we see it in the person of Christ coming to be with us as well. Yeah, yeah that's very good. I don't think you can call them weird books, but well. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Brad. So what, what we're going to do now is kind of move into some of Moses' resistance, which really begins to unfold in chapter 4 in particular. God says, this is what I'll do, this is what I'll do, this is what I'll do. You'll be there, you'll partner with me. And then Moses, he's not ready to go yet. He goes, what if they won't believe me or listen to what I say? They may say the Lord has not appeared to you. And so he's asking, in a sense, what's going to happen if I go and say, God has sent me, and they say, really? Like, why should we believe you, right? Uh, and, and God's answer to that is hysterical to me. What's that in your hand? Moses says, I have a staff, a stick. God says, throw it to the ground. He throws it to the ground. It becomes a snake. God says to Moses, stretch out your hand, grasp the snake by its tail, which is counterintuitive and wrong. Anyway, you would never do that. But he does it, and then it becomes a stick again. And then God says in verse 5, that's, there's your credibility. And people debate what that means. I personally think that because uh, Satan is portrayed as a snake in the Bible, uh, when the stick becomes a snake and Moses picks it up, it's a picture of confrontation and conflict, which we see unfolding in the very next chapter when he goes and confronts Pharaoh there's tons of conflict all the way along, and not just with Pharaoh, but with his very own people, with the people of God. And so God seems to be saying, there will be credibility established in the manner in which you deal with conflict. Do you disengage? Or do you lean in redemptively? Or do you lean in with anger and pride? And, and so, uh, Kendi, as an executive pastor, my question for you is... Uh, have you ever experienced conflict in ministry? <laughs> you know, truth is that yes, we do actually have conflict even here at Bethany Community Church. Thank you for guarding all of that from me because I didn't know. Okay, I'm really <laughs> glad because some people, maybe even here on staff, might be conflict averse. You know, yes. we get a little nervous when conflict is brewing and people are disagreeing, like, right? Even it could happen at this table. And I, I think we see in this passage a couple of things. First of all, Moses totally reminds me of one of our recent authors, Brene Brown, mm -hmm. in that he brings his vulnerability right to God. I mean, God's telling him to go do something, and he's saying, I don't think I can do this. Right. Uh, could you please pick somebody else? And here's all the reasons why. And he's kind of showing his heart to God. Right. And God does this amazing thing to say, no, you can do it. Here's what I'm going to give you. I'm even going to give you this, like, miraculous power to turn a staff to a snake and back to a staff. And, right. you know, I'm going to be right there with you. Yep. And yet Moses continues to resist. Yes, So much so that by, let's see, in verse uh, 11 of chapter 4, when God's saying, like, I've made your mouth, and Moses is still objecting, I can't even speak. Then by verse 14, the anger of the Lord is yeah. burning against Moses. Now there's so, conflict between God and Moses. Exactly. Yeah. So this conflict yeah. is heating up. Yep. And I think that can happen uh, in our relationships at the workplace. You know, you, you try to be kind and you try to kind of 
come to a solution-oriented approach, but someone starts to get angry. And then yeah. what do you do in yeah. that moment? Oh, and yeah. I think it's in that moment then your, your credibility really comes out or, or disappears. I couldn't agree more. And it's not just ministry. It's parenting. Yeah. Yep. It's marriage. It's vocation. Uh, just to, to second what Kendi's been saying, um, this credibility, this dynamic in leadership especially, this is where I think Moses' history comes back into play in his mind, where he's going like, yeah, but I killed a guy and I ran away and I've kind of been in isolation now for 40 years. I think he's wrestling with his own credibility before God. Yeah. God calls him not just as a means to kind of say like, no, no, it's not about your credibility. It's about my credibility, hmm. my, my authorship of this moment. I think that's part of it, but I think that's one of the beautiful things about when we experience conflict. And I think it's easy too, like as a young leader to say like, well, conflict means I did it wrong. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe I did do it wrong, but maybe actually what's better is what God wants to tease out of that moment, the transformation he wants to bring through the conflict that I had, through the failures that I've had. Yeah. I mean, that's our narrative of redemption that is so gloriously expressed through the cross of Christ. Um, but it's, it's a hard thing to remember when you fail or when you struggle. Uh, and I think here at Bethany, we do a good job of saying to people like, hey, you might have failed at that, but we love you. And let's keep, let's keep going on the mission that God has in front of us. What I appreciate about what you said, too, is uh, often uh, a, a conflict in the past that turned out poorly, like Moses killing of that guy and then running away, becomes for me the barrier to engage in conflict in the present. In mm -hmm. other words, if I had a, if I had a conflict and, and it didn't go well, I go, I'm done. I'm done. And I love here that God says, no, back in the game. It's like the kid who falls off the bike. And our, parent, our parents didn't go, oh, that's it. Never try that again. They put us back on. And this seems to be what God is doing here. And I think that's significant. I want to ask you a question, Jack, about the next uh, basis of credibility, so to speak, because he does this stick thing. And then, and then God says, again, somewhat mystically, he goes, uh, Take, take your hand, verse 6 of 4, put it in your bosom, so he's got his toga on or whatever. He puts it in. When he brings it out, it's leprous. God says, put it back. He puts it, back. He puts it in, brings it out again. It's healed. And again, God says, if they will not believe because of the first sign, they will believe because of the last sign. And so, okay, I engaged in conflict, and I made enemies. People don't believe me. The other tool in God's toolkit in the sense that establishes our calling is our own failure because leprosy is a picture of sin, right? And so God is saying to Moses, your credibility will not be established because you present yourself as perfect, but because people will see your ongoing transformation. And my question to you, Jack, is how has your own vulnerability and confession within your community or your family helped establish your credibility? Yeah, uh, Brad and I were just talking a little bit about this uh, today. I, I think a lot of men in our culture, for example, really struggle with uh, addiction to pornography. And there's a, or within the church, there's a, even a, an illusion that as pastors, we're up here and somehow we're this holy other. Mm -hmm. And yet we know, and this is true of all kinds of things, like uh, marriages that have gone stale or are going toward divorce and, and or pastors that struggle with, or people that struggle with anger, or yep. just whatever the issue is, yeah. and yet as pastors, we often stand up here as this sort of holy other, I've got yeah. holy hands, yeah. and I got great words for you, yeah, yeah. and so we were just talking in his office yesterday, 
that if we, <laughs> it's been in those moments where we get to tell the men in our lives that we've come from families that are broken too, and yep. we struggle with these things too, and we're on this journey too that we've actually seen those men really begin to to lean into relationship with us. Um, I know in this last year specifically, I've shared with our congregation at Bethany Northeast my own journey with having to um, ask my mom for forgiveness, hmm. even though I was so over the years just felt so wounded and hurt in that relationship to actually call her up one Saturday and say, mom, it was so hard. Will you please forgive me? And it didn't turn on a dime like that conversation didn't change our relationship. Uh, but sharing that with our congregation, that there's power. I, if I really believe that there's power within me, if Christ mm. dwells in me yep. to actually ask for forgiveness, to seek forgiveness and walk yes. down that road with people. Um, I just had people come to me after that. And since then, okay, will you pray with me and yeah. help me in that journey? Because I've got this broken relationship too, and I don't know if I can make that phone call. And it's been a pretty amazing season for me in that one phone call. It gives people courage to open up when we open up, I think. I shared with a, a group of leaders one time at a, in a smaller setting, uh, and, and I stood up, there were 30 or 40 in the room, and we were going to be together for a week, and I was teaching. And I, my opening was about vulnerability, based both here and 2 Corinthians. And so I stood up and said, hi, I'm Richard. I struggle a great deal with anxiety. And I talked about hard time sleeping, pulse that we've talked about before, different things. And it bugs me because I know I'm supposed to be a person of peace, right? And I read these peace verses, but I struggle. So I said that kind of as a joke, you know? And then when people begin to share devotions the rest of the week, every single person, hi, I'm John. I struggle with anger. Hi, I'm Sally. I struggle with lust. Hi, I'm whoever. And, and it was just actually beautiful to realize what I intended to be just kind of a throwaway joke actually s set the table for people to really share and connect. And I think that's hugely important. We all need that. So, no, thanks, Jack. I appreciate that a great deal. The one thing I'll add is, and the surprise is, I think, the leprosy does go away for Moses. It's just a picture of yes. this. But yeah. his weaknesses don't. And yeah, so he's right. still as insecure as he ever was. Yep. And I think the surprise for us, and I see this in David's life and the Psalms a lot, is that that God would be near to us in our brokenness. And yep. that the people of God, like I see, you know, Aaron and Joshua helping him and lifting up his arms later in the story, mm -hmm. that they would draw near to him and, and that he wouldn't feel a rejection that I think he anticipated. And yep. so this is the I think the great surprise in God's story is that in our weakness, when we reveal that to others, yes, it, allow, it allows people to kind of come along in that journey as well. But then they say, hey, you're not like a leprous person. You wouldn't want to go near them and touch them. And yet you have these people touching him and saying, hey, exactly. you're not so broken that I can't come near to you. And God does that in Jesus. And yeah, I think that's yeah. a pretty powerful it's message incredible. for us. It's yeah. beautiful, beautiful. This word's coming to my mind of authenticity. Yeah. That we see Moses not pleasing God. I think that would be my tendency. Like, oh my gosh, God's here. You know, <laughs> sure, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm in, you know, just, just right. let me go. Um, when we see Moses instead kind of aware of himself, maybe overly so, like mm. uh, telling God all the reasons right. why he doesn't feel He's himself qualified. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and that kind of makes room for God to qualify him. Instead of Moses saying, hey, yeah, I'm your man. You know, you get this sense of his complete reliance on God. And I think I've even kind of ridiculed Moses for like, having our, this argument with God. Yeah. And instead, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of uh, coming to appreciate, no, he's really vulnerable and just putting himself out there. And then God's making up that difference 
um, in his weakness, he becomes more than he'd ever be if he yeah. would have said, sure, God, here I go, no That's problem. Great. Yeah. But you see that model with most leaders in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. Yes. They're always arguing with God. Was it Jeremiah has a little yeah. conversation with God? I'm too Why? young, he says. I'm too yeah. young. I can't do this. And God says, yeah. Was uh, it Gideon with his army that keeps shrinking? Yep. Uh, no, because if we do something out of our strength, then you and I get the credit. But yep. if, if we do something where no one, we're the complete underdogs, yeah. then God gets the credit. There's that beautiful uh, phrase at the end of 1 Corinthians that no one may boast before God. God delights in using weakness to reveal God's strength. And I think uh, it applies to parenting, it applies to CEO, it applies, it applies all, all across the board. And so we do find ourselves in a sense in over our head. Which Travis, my question for you then is in verse 10, after it's in a sense every question has been answered and then Moses says to the Lord, listen, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you've spoken to me, I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue, subtext, I cannot be the spokesman for you because I'm, I don't speak well, right? So it, uh, is it true that he doesn't speak well or is this a smoke screen? Or is God saying, oh, uh, you, look, you just don't know yourself well enough, you actually do speak well. Or is God saying, it's precisely because you don't speak well that I've chosen you? Yeah. Um. It reminds me of, uh, actually, Brad mentioned Jeremiah a moment ago. At the beginning of Jeremiah, he says the exact same thing to God. He says, I'm too young. Yep. Uh, I'm not able to live into this calling that you've given to me. But right before that, God said to Jeremiah, I've called you since before you were born. I've, I've known you and anointed you for this special purpose, my purpose. And I, I've been reading this book about Jeremiah, and it's just been so encouraging. There's a line in it that says, before I, was knew, before I knew I was good for anything, God knew I was good hmm. for what he wanted. Wow. And it speaks to self-knowledge to a degree. Uh, like we've talked about Psalm 139 and how God knit us together in the womb and how he's known us uh, since before we were born. So there is some of that, I think, at play here that there's a resistance to God's call because there's parts of our lives that we can't know. I mean, we just, we, we can't self-assess that well. But I think rather than doubling down on self-knowledge, I think maybe what we can draw from the text here that's applicable to our lives is we just, that's why studying this, the scriptures are so critical. We see God's call and we, in, in relief of that, right? We can hold out our own calling against the call of Moses, of Jeremiah, of others and say, you know, I see some themes here and I want to be able to sort of hold out my life, hold it out loosely before God but I need something to compare it to. I need a backdrop upon which I can really see what God's doing in my life clearly. I, I just don't think Moses has had that opportunity quite yet in his journey right. with God. Right. Um, it's funny though that he, he fights him, right? Yeah. And they, that conflict, like Jack said, the conflict doesn't go away with God. Moses' insecurities don't go away. But I think I, one of my favorite passages of scripture is in Deuteronomy 8 when Moses sits and looks out over the promised land that he can't go to. And so much of what he says in that is just praise mm -hmm. to the God who brought him to that point where he never could have imagined, where he never could have seen where he was going. And so in our own lives, maybe looking out for those moments where God gives us a vantage point of the thing that he's brought us to and just saying, I never could have imagined this, God. Yeah, and I think, I think what's significant in it is there's a, we see a danger in verse 10 when Moses disqualifies himself by virtue of speaking ability. Uh, and the danger is, I think all of us at times preemptively pull ourselves out of God's story because we assess our own capacity. And, and either, A, we assess inaccurately, or B, uh, we assess accurately, but in reality it doesn't matter because God is going to empower us for that specific thing. Right. 
for for our good, for his glory, and in spite of our resistance. I mean, you asked the question yeah. of, do people resist God's call? How, how does that work? Yeah, totally. Like, I didn't want to be a pastor. I never would have imagined that. And yet my resistance to that was so feeble, ultimately. Yes. Uh, and I think, I think there are times when we are uniquely qualified for a specific thing. I, uh, I have the capacity to teach publicly, but when I was a first a pastor in Friday Harbor, people thought then that meant I was good in front of people, and so they'd invite me to MC 4-H events and stuff like that. I tried it once, and I tried to tell jokes and stuff, and no one's laughing, and I was like, this is a total disaster. Now I will not stand on a stage without a Bible in my hand because the only thing I can do publicly is this, right? And that, I believe, is a spiritual gift, not a natural inborn talent, and God does call us to settings. And I, I, I've talked to people who said, oh, I could never be a parent, but to my kids, I'm a great dad, or whatever. And so I think we need to recognize we are uniquely endowed uh, for the things that God is calling us to do. Which that's one of the amazing things to me about this story is Moses is still arguing with God and God provides a speaker. He doesn't, yes, that's right. he doesn't say, oh, no, no, I'll make you eloquent. He says, okay, you know, well, let's yeah. call in a relative yeah. and he can talk for you. Like right. neither God gives up nor does Moses really win. It's right. like God yeah. sort of perseveres yeah. like, oh, I'll provide for you. Okay, you need someone else? Okay, I'll put another teammate alongside yes. of you yeah. to get this done. And then in, in, so in verse 12, God, God says, uh, go. I will be with your mouth specifically and I'll teach you what you're to say. And then, so every question's been answered. God's name, Moses' credibility, Moses' ability. And now God says, please, Lord, send the message by whoever you want. In other words, subtext, send it by anyone but me, right? And so kind of a general question for you guys. Is everyone resistant to God's call? What do you think? Or is this just kind of a, a Moses thing? I think at some point, yes, uh, because God calls us to something that's always beyond ourselves. Yes. And that's a scary thing to do. So at some point, we're all resistant because it's bigger than me. I, I can't speak. I, I Moses had a stuttering problem. David was, was too young. He was the outcasted uh, brother. And so there's always something God's calling us to overcome. And mm -hmm. those are hard things to do. So at some point, we're all yeah. uh, resistant. Yeah, Elizabeth and I are reading this book uh, called Grit. It's by this woman, Angela Lee Duckworth. She did this TED Talk that got big. but And she has this equation for success. I think I've shared with you guys, but it's uh, desire plus ability plus then parentheses twice the effort. Huh. So two times the effort. And I, I think it's good in the sense until you you know say that everyone has to pull themselves up by the, their bootstraps. But I think it's, it's important to acknowledge that our success or our calling isn't just where I'm most gifted. And also when I wake up in the morning where I most kind of have the deepest longings, this is where right. I think Beekner's um, definition of call falls apart a little bit. I think sometimes, and I teach this to our, our daughter who's going into middle school, some days you have to wake up and say, I'm gonna put my shoes on I'm and go to school. Yep. Because I want to someday be this veterinarian or whatever. And so there has to be a little bit of, uh, maybe there is insecurity, maybe there is just a sense of boredom. I don't, I don't know yep. Moses' whole story, but I think there's a little bit of, he just feels like he's been left. And yes. so God's saying, hey, you gotta step back in. I know you're almost 80, 
Yep. But you gotta, you're not dead yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, all of us have a, a lesson in that. And when it comes to our calling that um, we have, we're not, you know, until we're dead, we're not retired. We have to keep living. And so. I, and I think of uh, Pressfield's book, The War of Art, right? Yeah. Which Travis, you and I have read. And, and there's this notion of, uh, he calls it the resistance. And he says, all of us encounter the resistance. So between who I am and who I'm called to be, there's resistance. And how do I overcome resistance? I have to move into it. I would argue that the reason everyone is resistant to God's call is because the call always has an element of the cross in it, mm-hmm. right? An element of self-denial. Mm-hmm. And yet the beauty, and with this we close, is uh, that we know that Christ paved the way for us. He was re- Christ was resistant to his own call, mm-hmm. sweating drops of blood and saying, basically saying in his own words what, what Moses says to God here. Is there any way yeah. that I don't have to do this? And then ultimately submitting even as Moses did, which I think is amazing, right? So we have a forerunner in Christ who has shown us the way and shown us that, yeah, your calling is going to have in it elements that you wouldn't embrace by nature. Go anyway, and you'll find all the sufficiency you need. Uh, my question to you guys as we close, uh, last word for everyone uh, regarding living into their calling. If you could say one thing to Bethany Community Church, what would it be? I'd jump in on that. One of the stories we've done well here, we've told for 100 years as a church, is the ongoing transformation of all of our lives. And so we can think oftentimes calling is just career. But I think for most people listening today, it's more about a marriage that's gone stale. It's a issue with a child that is really difficult or a parent or a roommate or something in my day-to-day life that I know God wants me to change my heart about. Mm-hmm. And so we turn to the scriptures, we turn to prayer, we turn to God and say, you know, my brokenness is not going to define this. God, continue to transform me hmm. to be your hmm. messenger here. And then lead me also into different career paths and into yep. future places, but make it start today. Cool. Anybody else? Uh, I just offer a word of encouragement that um, for anyone who's kind of wrestling with what's calling going to look like, where am I going to land, just my very recent experience of God's call is it's nothing like we could ever imagine. Mm. And it's Mm. so much better Mm. than what anything we could have pictured. It's so much greater and so much richer and deeper. And just to maybe be encouraged this morning by that. I would say that no matter how big and scary it is, he's right there next to you. And you're able to have these kind of Moses dialogues with God and yeah. push back. And God's, God didn't strike Moses down. He still used him. Yep. Uh, there was this relationship that, that was The beautiful to, intimacy oh, of the text. It's awesome. Yeah. And, it, and it happens throughout Moses' life. Yeah, the one thing I'd add, I, I've been actually meeting a lot of people in our community and the wider community that we have that are out of work. And you'd think in this economy, it's growing. There's a lot of people in our community that are wrestling with this notion of, am I called? Has God left me? I met, I met this guy earlier this week that has been looking for work in development in the development world for the last eight months. Hmm. And uh, wow. he's considering mowing grass. Hmm. <laughs> and I, I knew we were coming toward this, this sermon series. And I said, I know this is going to sound like a platitude, but I, you're not done yet. I think the message to, and I said this just a moment ago, but the message to Moses is, hey, I, I'm not done with you. Right. So d- in the moment of mowing grass, don't miss that God's at work with you. And there might be something for you to learn there. Absolutely. And so for those of us who are struggling against a sense of God abandoning me in my call, I was doing something great, I've lost the job, or I feel like there's a fallow season in that, maybe there is something for you to learn and grow yeah. to use later. 
Awesome. Kendi. That story reminds me of a guy that I know who was kind of at the peak of his career and lost his job. Hmm. And we all thought, oh, he'd be employed, you know, before you knew it. And month after month kind of unfolded. And he found himself uh, just having a lack of sense of purpose in his life and getting depressed and took a step of starting to volunteer at Habitat for Humanity and really basically built a house almost single-handedly before he was employed again. And he would look back at that time in his life as a time when God was more real than ever before. And it it developed in him a sense of hope, a sense of adventure, that his calling isn't about his own self-determination, but it's about kind of accepting what God put in front of him even uh, being out unemployment, being out of work, and kind of seeing what God might do with those months and hmm. being willing to treat it that way, uh, kind of moving in faith and not fear. And That's I came awesome. to admire him, and he, you know, again, rose to the top in a new company and I think carried that Habitat story with him and continues to be a Habitat volunteer now internationally, uh, kind of giving back to a ministry wow. that gave to him. So it's amazing. I, I say be a people of hope no matter That's what right. your circumstances. Yeah. Look for where God might be moving. And as, as I say to people often in the same pastoral context, the story is never over. And that's basically what all of you are saying. Uh, in these moments when we have a profound encounter and we know a new sense of direction, maybe, maybe we don't even want to go there. Uh, if God is sending us, yes is the right answer because there's a transformation awaiting us. I want to thank all of you for your great participation. I'll pray now. Uh, and then uh, after that, I think each local campus has a few things to say. So let me pray. Father, uh, thanks so much for these moments and thank you for Moses. And uh, we pray that you would give each one of us ears to hear the calling that you have on our lives. Maybe not a grand calling uh, from our perspective, but every step from your perspective is significant. So as your Holy Spirit speaks today about each one of us living into our calling as parent, as spouse, as employee, as employer, as volunteer in various settings, as neighbor. Uh, Give us ears to hear. Give us the freedom to wrestle with you authentically and to wrestle with that calling and give us the grace and faith to say yes. And we'll thank you for the adventure that awaits us of transformation as you use us to be people of hope in your world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.